Thanks for tuning in. This edition of Outcasting will begin in a few moments. Outcasting is produced by Media for the Public Good, formerly WDFH, Westchester Public Radio. Non-commercial, non-profit, and volunteer-powered. One of the things that makes a show like Outcasting possible is financial support from listeners like you. Please visit us at mfpg.org and click on Support to make your tax-deductible contribution. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. And now, Outcasting. This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, where you don't have to be queer to be here. Outcasting is produced by Media for the Public Good, a nonprofit independent producer based in New York. Hi, I'm Adam, a youth participant at Outcasting's home studio in Westchester County, New York. In this first part of a three-part series, we'll begin our look at anti-LGBTQ backlash against the Supreme Court's marriage equality ruling in 2015. This is part one of a three-part series. The entire series is available on our website, outcastingmedia.org. Hi, I'm Sydney. The past decade or so has brought great advancements in equality for LGBTQ people. In 2004, Eight years after the Anti-Gay Defense of Marriage Act was enacted, Massachusetts became the first state to legalize same-sex marriage. Just 11 years later, the Supreme Court struck down the last of the state bans against same-sex marriage, making marriage equality the law of the land. In 1997, Ellen DeGeneres came out on TV and it was regarded as something of a scandal. Now, LGBTQ characters appear routinely, if not always in ways that show the characters in all their depth. So by at least some measures, things are better than they were 10 or 20 years ago. But like any major change, forward movement is often accompanied by a step backward, and sometimes by big steps backward. Despite the big Supreme Court victory on marriage equality, LGBTQ people can still be discriminated against in the areas of public accommodation, credit, housing, lending, and employment. Unless you happen to live in a state or municipality that has an anti-discrimination provision, people are free to discriminate against you for being LGBTQ, and you have no legal recourse. The federal civil rights laws protect a number of groups of people who have historically been subject to discrimination, but these laws don't protect LGBTQ people. According to the Human Rights Campaign, there have been about 200 anti-LGBTQ laws proposed around the country this year. And, of course, in the early morning hours of June 12th, a gunman massacred dozens of people in a gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida, and was being called one of the deadliest mass shootings in U.S. history. Barely a month later, the Republican National Committee adopted the most anti-LGBTQ platform in the party's history, as characterized by the president of the Log Cabin Republicans, a gay Republican group. Our guest is the author journalist, and LGBTQ activist Michelangelo Signorelli. He's the host of the Michelangelo Signorelli Show, a daily talk show on Sirius XM Progress 127. He's also the editor-at-large of Huffington Post Queer Voices. His most recent book is It's Not Over, Getting Beyond Tolerance, Defeating Homophobia, and Winning True Equality. Welcome to the program, Mike. Thank you for having me. LGBTQ people are becoming more visible and starting to win greater acceptance in society and under the law. 
Do you think that's causing a backlash and increase in discrimination, anti-LGBTQ laws, sentiment, activity, and violence in recent years? Yes, there are people who are just organized and very active and have been for many, many years to stop LGBT equality. And I think more than ever now, because of the gains that we've made, they are more determined, more active, more vocal, and using every tool they can to try to stop us from gaining more rights and take away the rights that we already have. In your book, you mentioned victory blindness. Tell us about that. Victory blindness is something that I thought about with regard to looking at how people were responding to the gains that we had made and how they really were not seeing how this backlash was organizing against us because it had been so enthralling, so invigorating to have these wins. And particularly for many of us who are older uh, and who remember just the most visceral kind of hate in our lives and, of course, experienced the indifference uh, to the AIDS epidemic, the idea of all of a sudden this happening so quickly and so rapidly, I think, uh, created a, a, a sense of uh, we had arrived, that we were now living in this incredible, amazing, different world. And it made us not see the negative stuff out there. And it created a complacency among a lot of people. Sometimes when you don't see what's happening uh, in terms of people working against you uh, or still trying to take away your rights, you will do whatever you can to sort of say, okay, it's it's time to just take a break and uh, not focus on that anymore. And victory blindness is just that, people not seeing that there's so much more work to be done because of the victories we've had. Has the backlash intensified because of victory blindness in the LGBTQ community? Well, I think we've allowed the backlash to grow because we weren't looking at what was happening or we saw people organizing, but we said, oh, they're never going to get very far. Nobody's going to listen to them. So whether it was in Arkansas or Mississippi or North Carolina or elsewhere, there was an idea that they wouldn't really get a lot of uh, support. And sometimes, because we saw big business come to our uh, aid in places like Indiana and help to beat back the backlash, we really thought it would remain consistent. But what really happens, I think we see now, is that big business, as well as the media, is very fickle. Just like with everything else, if we don't raise the alarm, uh, if the media is not paying attention enemies of equality will get things done under the radar, as they did in Mississippi and, and Arkansas and even in North Carolina. Everybody woke up all of a sudden and there was this horrible uh, law in North Carolina. So again, we were blinded to that idea that, you know, we thought, oh, well, after Indiana, after Arizona, things will change because we had beaten back a law that was pushed in Arizona and the governor had uh, vetoed that religious liberty bill in 2014. I think there's this idea every time we have a win that that's it. Uh, but again, they will take advantage of when the media and big business and activists aren't paying attention. In the early hours of June 12th, dozens of people were killed in a gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida, in what is being called one of the deadliest mass shootings in U.S. history. Tell us about gay bars and clubs and what they have historically meant to the LGBTQ community. 
The attack in Orlando was just a shock to all of us, and certainly as the largest mass shooting in America, it was a shock to the whole country. But it is unfortunately, sadly, uh, not something out of the ordinary in the larger scope of attacks on LGBT spaces, nightclubs, and other gathering spots that we've seen over many decades. Uh, first off, Bars, clubs, nightclubs, um, every other kind of gathering space for LGBT people is a refuge, a place where people have gone to. It has a different meaning than a bar or a nightclub does for uh, heterosexual people. It is a place people have often gone to when they weren't accepted at home, when they couldn't find their own people. We don't grow up with our own people. We have to go find them. And these are the places where people have gone. So they're very sacred places, sanctuaries. Uh, I think it's similar to what a synagogue is for Jews or the black church. And, and those are sites as well that have been under attack by people who hate. And I think the haters, those who hate uh, LGBT people, those who hate homosexuality, hate people who are transgender, they know those places are sacred and sanctuaries, and that's why they attack them. Uh, it goes way back. We had a, a fire in the 70s in New Orleans that uh, had killed over 30 people in a uh, nightclub. We've had attacks on lesbian bars in Atlanta by uh, Eric Rudolph, the uh, Olympic Park bomber terrorist who was connected to an extremist group called the Army of God. He attacked abortion clinics uh, as well, and he attacked the Other Side Lounge, a lesbian bar uh, in Atlanta. We had attacks in Virginia on a bar called The Barracks uh, in uh, Roanoke. Uh, we had a shooting with a submachine gun at the Ramrod in New York City. And the only reason more than two people didn't die was that the shooter's gun had jammed. We've seen just this past uh, fall attacks in Dallas on gay men exiting bars, thrown into vans and beaten up and called faggot at the same time that we saw the bars vandalized uh, in the early hours of the morning. And then, of course, shortly after this horrible attack, we saw the reports of a man headed to L.A. Pride with weapons, a cache of weapons and chemicals, and it was unclear what was going on, but I think it certainly was something out of the ordinary in terms of everything we've seen. Someone who had a history of uh, criminal activity headed to an LGBT space with weapons. It's something we've seen over and over again, and it's meant to intimidate us, not just hurt those who are there, but also intimidate the rest of us and make us fear coming together. FBI statistics tell us that LGBT people are now the minority that's at the highest risk of becoming targets of hate crimes. This certainly bolsters the idea that the fight for equality is far from over. Tell us about the Orlando massacre and how it relates to the idea of backlash we've been talking about. The backlash we've seen uh, against LGBT people has manifested itself over the past few years uh, with a rise in hate crimes. Uh, certainly, as marriage equality has come to the forefront, as there was more attention on 
equal rights. We saw the numbers all across the country. We saw attacks as well in Seattle. A man had tried to uh, set a bar on fire, neighbors nightclub, and we saw attacks on transgender women of color in particular uh, spike dramatically, hitting on the most vulnerable. So we've seen these hate crimes uh, rising. And then to see a year after the winning of marriage equality across the country, literally almost to the day, the most horrific mass uh, hate crime against LGBT people, I think is a real wake-up call to how the backlash is playing out. It has been a year in which we've seen these measures we've been talking about, religious liberty laws, quote-unquote, transgender bathroom bills, quote-unquote, conscience clause laws, others, all of it meant to demonize us, all of it creating uh, attacks in legislatures with the most vile kind of rhetoric being used against us, and also in the Congress. Just days before the Orlando massacre, Republican members of Congress had, for the fourth time, decided not to allow a pro-LGBT measure move forward. And one of these members of Congress actually read a passage during breakfast prayer that was a scripture passage that calls for homosexuality punishable by death, that it's worthy of death. So we've seen the rhetoric out there, and the rhetoric that we've seen from legislators and others does filter down to the streets and to the haters who would attack us. What kind of message are these people sending to LGBTQ youth? The people who hate LGBT people, those who are inspired by bigotry, whether it's religion-based bigotry of whatever religious faith, or the same kind of bigotry we've seen of white supremacists in this country who hate Jews, who hate blacks, who uh, hate uh LGBT people, uh, whatever is the inspiration for the hate, the message is the same. It's to intimidate people and it's to tell young people in particular that um, they should be afraid. They should uh, refrain from acting on their sexual orientation, being who they are. They should repress who they are and somehow uh, try not to be who they are. And that if they do, it's going to be dangerous and it's going to be something that will uh, cause them harm. It's all about creating fear. And certainly for young people uh, who, when we see the Orlando Uh, victims and the ages of people, early 20s, uh, one of the victims was even 19. It's so important for people when they're young to be able to come together. And certainly um, people who are LGBT are coming together at younger ages in youth groups. That is a message to them that they shouldn't come together, that they shouldn't be together, and that if they do, it's dangerous. And we need to, as a community, send a counter message that we will fight them, that we will stand up, that we will not allow them to intimidate us. It's obviously a very dangerous kind of message to be sending to young people who are already at a very high risk of suicide and other self-destructive behavior. So many people who are LGBT grow up in an environment that teaches them that they are uh, less than human, that they should uh, 
hate themselves, and and many do. Uh, some of it because of religious bigotry. Uh, some of it, their parents just telling them, or family members telling them that they are uh, somehow um, not normal if they are uh, not heterosexual, and to then get this message of hate. Uh, through these uh, individuals sending that message by uh, making these very um, big and bold and horrific kind of attacks just exacerbates that. I mean, I worry about people actually seeing the Orlando massacre, seeing that hate out there who are vulnerable, who are already feeling that they are not worth um, the same as anyone else. A young person who is struggling with his or her sexual orientation or gender identity. I worry about that person seeing this and it just really exacerbating those feelings of um, worthlessness and contributing to the already vastly high rates of suicide we see among LGBT people. This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, where you don't have to be queer to be here. Outcasting is produced by Media for the Public Good, a nonprofit independent producer based in New York, online at outcastingmedia.org. On this edition, Outcasting Youth participant Sydney is talking with the author, activist, and journalist Michelangelo Signorelli about the anti LGBTQ backlash against the Supreme Court's marriage equality ruling in 2015. Where do we go from here? How can we keep the concerns of LGBTQ people in the minds of the general public? I think just it's it's terrible that it takes an event like this to uh, wake people up and snap them out of that victory blindness and really see the hate that is out there. It's just so sad that something like this uh, for some people uh, has to happen of to wake them up. Uh, it, it's a terrible thing. I hope that what we will do as a community moving forward is stay on guard, stay vigilant, uh, make sure we're always um, taking on the hate so that we don't see this kind of thing happen, so that we uh, don't have something like this happen and look around and realize that politicians, the media, uh, others really don't uh, value us or see us as uh, equals and that we make sure that we're constantly vigilant about that. In the early days after the Orlando massacre, in some of the mainstream media at least, there seemed to be an erasure of the LGBTQ part of the story and a focus on guns and the possible ISIS connection. This horrible tragedy once again underscores how much work we have to do with changing the media and getting uh, mainstream media to cover LGBT issues in a way that really understands the complexity of our movement understands homophobia and transphobia. It was just unbelievable to a lot of people at first that there weren't any references to the fact that this was uh, an LGBT nightclub, uh, that it was a nightclub where uh, people came together uh, in the LGBT community in Florida. It didn't seem something that was relevant to them. Immediately, there was a rush to 
uh, call it ISIS-directed or ISIS-inspired. International terrorism came to the forefront before there was even any evidence of that. But what we knew was that it was an attack on an LGBT space. We would come to learn that the shooter, in fact, uh, harbored uh, anti-gay beliefs for a very long time. His colleagues, his neighbors, his ex-wife, his father have all said that he was anti-gay. He saw two gay men kissing, according to his father, just recently before the uh, event, and it, it made him very angry. Whatever his other allegiances and whether he latched on to uh, something that would give him some sort of legitimacy or make him feel like he had a higher cause, it's clear we know that, in fact, he was directed by homophobia, and yet the media did not get that, did not really uh, understand that. And that just shows us how much more work we need to do with the media in understanding who we are and what we're about. Glad is doing a lot of work in this area. You've written your book. You have your show. What else should we be doing? We need to make sure our voices are heard immediately when there is a crisis like this and uh, really push back very hard. We saw some pushback on social media. People really pushed the media to identify Pulse as a gay space, as a gay nightclub. Uh, it was very clear if you just went to Pulse's Facebook page what kind of a place it was, but they just didn't get that. But I think our voices needed to be even louder. We needed to really push uh, harder. And I think we need to uh, organize uh, and, and, and protest as well, not just um, protest against um, those who push this hate, but protest against the media for how it covers it. I think they need to understand uh, what they've done wrong. So in practical terms, what does that look like? We need to get back to grassroots activism and organize marches, organize directed, sustained campaigns uh, focused on those who are uh, distorting who we are, uh, we need to take that to the media. We need to take that uh, to um, those who are pushing the hate in Congress, uh, in, in politics as well. Uh, we need to really be out there and be present uh, and really let them see who we are and understand, as we did when uh, the media didn't get uh, what the AIDS crisis was about. We protested. We went to their doors. We went into their studios. <laughs> we did direct action. Uh, we have to take the message back. Whenever there's a shooting of this kind, we see the politicians coming out, offering their thoughts and prayers, yet nothing is done about gun violence, no action on guns, nothing is done to advance LGBTQ equality by these people. These are often the same people who reject all that. Do you think it rises to the level of hypocrisy? The hypocrisy we saw following uh, the Orlando massacre uh, by mostly Republican politicians who have denied LGBT people rights and also have refused to pass sensible uh, legislation uh, to um, make sure that guns don't get into the hands of people who would do such damage ha has been extraordinary. We had politicians saying that their hearts go out to the victims, but not acknowledging who the victims are, not even using 
the term LGBT. They had to be shamed into it, uh, and eventually they started to, but it was too late. When you already dehumanize the victims or make them invisible, and let's not forget that the victims were uh, a majority of them Latino LGBT people, and uh, a, a large portion of them as well, Puerto Rican uh, LGBT people, uh, already feeling discrimination in a variety of ways. When you don't even identify who those people are, it, it dehumanizes them, it devalues them. And then to, at the same time, claim you care about the victims, but not pass legislation, the day after Orlando, Representative Sean Maloney introduced for the fifth time legislation that would keep President Obama's executive order banning discrimination against LGBT people uh, among federal contractors in place because Republicans had uh, passed a uh, an amendment that took those protections away. And he couldn't even get a vote on it uh, by Paul Ryan the Speaker of the House, who now decided not even to allow it to have a vote because a vote would actually, especially post-Orlando, probably get a lot of Republicans supporting it. He wouldn't even allow a vote on it. This is after Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, had been among those saying his heart goes out to the victims. So that hypocrisy is uh, something that is just so prevalent. And of course, on the issue of guns uh, as well, it's heartening to see in in the aftermath of this attack, uh, a coalition of LGBT groups joining together and joining those who are calling for sane and sensible gun measures to control this kind of violence. It is an issue that connects to our safety in this world and something we should be very concerned about. That's all we have time for today. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Michelangelo Signorelli is an author, journalist, and activist. His most recent book is It's Not Over, Getting Beyond Tolerance, Defeating Homophobia, and Winning True Equality. We spoke with him in the Manhattan apartment of our executive producer, Mark Sofis. As we mentioned earlier, this is a three-part series on outcasting. The entire series is available on our website, outcastingmedia.org. In part two, we'll talk more about the anti-LGBTQ backlash against the Supreme Court's marriage equality ruling in 2015, focusing on new anti-LGBTQ laws popping up around the country. Next, we hear from Alcaster Brianna, who reacts to the Orlando massacre. Learning that the attack was on the gay club Pulse made this more than just another shooting. This was personal. I have a friend who attends college in Orlando, and he's been to Pulse a number of times. I was scared to call and ask if he was okay, because what if he wasn't? He let me know later in the day that he was fine, and I can't describe the sense of relief I felt. But in the hours and days that followed, I found myself falling back to thinking about how it could have been him. I have so many friends in this community, so many people I care about, and this massacre brought back the ever-present knowledge that there are people in this world who want to intimidate us and stop us from living our lives as LGBTQ people. There are people who want to hurt us. There are people who want to kill us. It could have been any of my friends in that club. It could have been me. Brianna's essay was adapted from a longer essay that's posted as an outcasting off-air feature available on our website, outcastingmedia.org. 
That's it for this edition of Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, where you don't have to be queer to be here. This program has been produced by Outcasting's home studio in Westchester County, New York. Our youth participants include Lauren, Jamie, Brianna, Sydney, and me, Adam. Our assistant producer is Alex Mintz, and our executive producer is Mark Sophus. Outcasting is produced by Media for the Public Good, a nonprofit independent producer based in New York. In addition to our home studio, Outcasting has bureaus in New York City and at Michigan State University. More information about Outcasting is available at outcastingmedia.org. You'll find information about the show, listen links for all Outcasting episodes, and the podcast link. You'll also find links to Outcasting Off Air, extra online features from Outcasting, and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. If you're having trouble, whether it's at home or school or just with yourself, call the Trevor Project hotline at 866-488-7386 or visit them online at thetrevorproject.org. The Trevor Project is an organization dedicated to LGBTQ youth suicide prevention. Call them if you have a problem. They even have an online chat that you can use if you don't want to talk on the phone. Again, the number is 866-488-7386. Being different isn't a reason to hate or hurt yourself. Alright, go get a piece of paper. I'll say it one more time. 866-488-7386 or online at thetrevorproject.org. You can also find a link on our site, outcastingmedia.org, under Outcasting, LGBTQ Resources. I'm Adam. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time. If you enjoyed this edition of Outcasting, please make a tax-deductible gift to Media for the Public Good. We can't do programs like this without your support. Visit mfpg.org and click on Support. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. Thanks.